0: my goodness, I got so into the song, I forgot I was next. Good job, E-Kids, we love you! Woo! Amazing. That's so fun. That's a lot of girls. A lot, a lot of girls. All the teens are like, I wish youth ministry was like that. I'm just kidding. Well, today is a good day to renew my mind to encourage my soul, to align with truth, and walk in faith. Amen? Amen? At The Exchange, we are a place where purpose is awakened and developed, and I am excited to continue our series today on a generous life. I have a lot to share in the short three hours that I have left today. The title of my sermon today is The Grace to Give. The Grace to Give. Grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. When you ask the Lord to be Lord of your life and you repent of your sins, turn from this life to the next, you you just change your thinking. And you're like, you know, I can't do life on my own. I was made for a creator and I definitely need a savior and you ask the Lord uh, just to take control of your life you know you become saved what we call saved you become a Christian God's grace floods the scene and immediately you are a son you are a daughter of God the grace of God is unmerited favor you didn't do anything to earn it you didn't do anything to deserve it Jesus did it all he did it all And the more we're in the church, the longer we're in the church, the longer we try to do things to earn God's favor. And God can be pleased with you. He can. You can do things that pleases the heart of God. And and God can sing over you and dance over you at different moments of your life. And he can be so satisfied with you and your choices and your decisions and what you're doing. But that's not salvation. Salvation happens in in a moment. And it is by nothing that you can add to. Nothing that you can take away from your life. Grace allows us to become sons and daughters. You know, my kids, Micah, Michaela, Addison, Jordan, Tristan. They did nothing to earn their way into my home. When Jordan, who's now 21 this month, 21 years old, he is now old enough to pay double rent. When Jordan came into our house at the age of seven years old, he didn't have to prove himself. How horrible would I have been as a future adopted father to look at a little seven-year-old and say, you can, you can come stay with me if you do X, Y, and Z. Oh, and by the way, you have to do this and that and make me feel a certain way. I would have been an awful dad. But to Jordan at seven years old, we said, come as you are. And I'm so grateful for, for a God in heaven who says, come as you are. Say yes to me as you are. Trust me in the process to create something new and fresh and you. Trust the grace of God to create you to be a son or a daughter. Often in the church we only think of grace as unmerited favor. But grace goes a little bit beyond that. It would have been enough if that was it, but grace goes a little bit beyond that because if you think about it, the grace of God takes you from just a plain old human to the righteousness of God. From a a dirty, filthy scoundrel to a son, daughter, royalty. So, so grace is this transition. In other words, grace allows you to become what you could not become on your own. So grace is more than just a covering. Grace is an empowering. Does this make sense? So you can have different graces in your life. Some of you today are, are graced to give. Over and above the tithe, you give extravagantly. The Bible calls it hilariously. Where when you give, heaven laughs. (laughs) Some of you are are gifted or graced to be hospitable. When people are coming over, your, your home is nice and you light the candles and you have like 10 different entrees out because you want to make your guests feel comfortable. Like that's a gift. Not everyone has that. Some of you are just like, hey, we're close, we're family. Just come on in, let yourself in. If you want something in the fridge, just get it. Um, I'm not going to be hospitable. I'm not going to host you. I'm just going to create a space for you to live. (laughs) And that's okay. That's okay. But there are people that are graced to be hospitable. There are people that have a a grace for parenting. You ever seen those parents that just kind of make you sick? It's like, they cry every milestone of their kid, and you're like, I feel so guilty. Because I was so glad when they did X, Y, and Z. Am I the only one in the room? You can still be a good dad, but not be graced for it. The grace is above and beyond. It's bigger. It's grandiose. It's, it's big. So I want to talk to you today on the grace of to give. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I just thank you for your sweet presence that's in this room. I sense in the next 25 minutes that you are just going to grace the room for reconciliation. You're going to bring a grace. You're going to usher in a grace for healing in this moment. God, you're going to bring a grace for alignment in this moment. God, I ask that your word would be made clear to us, that we would stretch our tradition, that we would look look beyond what we've always believed, and just help us learn. God, help us know more of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen. So I want to close out our stewardship series. In the New Testament, because I've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament regarding giving. I want to I jump into the New Testament for a little bit and let's just make that, make that bridge in giving. Um, I want to make sure that we aren't reducing this topic, this wonderful, amazing topic of giving and generosity. I don't want to reduce it to legalism. I, I can't stand legalism. Anybody else hate legalism? Yes, a few of us are like, yes, absolutely. Others are like, well, can you define that? And then I'll let you know. What is legalism? And then I'll tell you if I hate it or not. Well, that's a good question. What is legalism? Legalism exists when people attempt to secure righteousness in God's sight by good works. Legalism exists when people try to secure their righteousness, their right standing with God, by doing all the right things. As if the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. You have to do all the right things. That's, that's legalism. And maybe you've seen examples of legalism. A legalist believes that their good works and obedience to God, and this is the, this is the clincher, affects their salvation. So when I do bad, I am bad, and I must not be a son or a daughter. That's how legalists believe. You may have seen it in our community, in our nation, in our state around the world. When you travel, I don't know where you've picked up on it before, but a legalist would say that women shouldn't wear dresses. No, women shouldn't wear pants. They should wear dresses. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing wrong with dresses. Dresses are cool. My wife is in a dress today. Dresses are fine. A legalist would say, a woman should not wear makeup. (laughs) Jenny says they should. No, they should. (laughs) I'm not saying that. Jenny said that. (laughs) Just clarify Some. Okay. I'm going to move on. A legalist. (laughs) A legalist would say, don't watch rated R movies. <laughs> I guess they've never seen Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ, the story of Jesus on the cross, rated R. Probably could have been R squared because it was very intense. Now, I'm not advocating for R movies, by the way, in our home. We don't even watch MA movies, Mature Audience, because Mature Audience is way worse than R and X combined, That's what we found, anyway. Um, When, when, not that we've checked the X. (laughs) I just need to clarify. We've just found. My wife is like, put the shovel down, honey. We've just found that mature audience should be, instead of M A, N A, numb audience. People that are desensitized to profanity and nudity and things that are against God. So we're careful with PG-13. We watch some PG-13. We watch R if it's like explosions and people dying and stuff. That's all right. (laughs) But a legalist would say, if you watch this, then you're going to hell. Do you know the difference? There's a big difference between self-discipline or spiritual disciplines and then legalism. Uh, people that have a legalistic lifestyle, maybe they don't even own a TV or a radio. I mean, we just see legalism in, in so many facets. Um, I, I just always, no, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I don't know why women get the, no, this is pro woman. This is pro-woman, Shane. Shane, calm down. You've been burned, apparently, by talking too much. I don't know why women get the raw end of the deal on legalism. Like, why aren't the legalists out there saying men should watch what they eat or treat their women with honor or treat their kids gently? Do you know what I mean? Like, so shout out to all the women who the Lord is currently rescuing from legalism because you guys, not you guys, but they have had a bad rap. and I, I, I hate legalism. So when I say I despise it, I, I despise it. I, can't st- I just think it's so prideful that if I have a set of rules and regulations to follow and then suddenly I'm good, it's just a slap in the face to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was that that paid it all. Not my ability to fast forward through scenes on Netflix. Legalism. In 19, sorry, in 1517, Martin Luther. Martin Luther sparked the Protestant Reformation. And he argued that Christians are saved by faith and faith alone. And this was huge. It was huge. That went directly against the Roman Catholic view of the time. And possibly today that says salvation claims or they claim that salvation comes through the partnership of both faith and our obedience or good works. So there are many, many variations of religion that claim it's A and B. It's faith and good works. But that's just not what Jesus said. Jesus said that we're saved By faith and faith alone, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through what? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We can't earn our way to heaven. And that's good news. That's great news. We're all on an equal playing field this morning, no matter what your past is, no matter what you did last night, no matter what you're planning to do tomorrow. (laughs) We're all on equal field, and Jesus has paid it all. How many are thankful for grace this morning? How many are thankful for the law this morning? Uh Uh-oh. My wife says, I'm thankful for it. That's because you're an eight and you follow every rule. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So I asked who was thankful for grace and the room erupted. I mean, in raising of hands. And then there was a splatter of hand claps. And then I said, who's thankful for law? And everyone was like, "Mm." a few people who are rule followers said me. And then everyone else is like, should I be? I'm not sure. Well, I want to help you uh, because many people actually think that law and grace are like two opponents in a boxing ring. Like one has to win. One has to lose for the other one to win. I mean, didn't in that kind of the dichotomy that you just felt in your heart when I asked that question, like, oh, I've got to choose one or the other, which is it? I, I choose grace, but choose both grace and law is it all right if we do a little bit of just seminary talk today okay grace and law are not opponents they're not like boxers in a boxing ring some people would say it's more like it's more like partners in a relay race the law was running with the baton and then jesus comes up on the scene and grace starts running alongside law And just when Jesus said, it is finished, all of a sudden that baton is passed into the hands of grace. And grace takes off running. They're running the same race on the same team. Now that's a good illustration, but I have an even better one. I thought about it like 20 minutes before I came out. I was like, God, why didn't you show me that yesterday? Instead of the relay race, I think law and grace is more like curling Not curling your hair. You ever seen the Olympics, the curling? Curling is the sport where somebody takes a stone, come on somebody. And they try to get the stone into the strategic circle down the way. And there are two things, two people there in front of the stone. And that's the Holy Spirit on either side. That's called law and grace. Grace. And law and grace are using the broom to get the ice a little bit wet so the stone will keep going and it won't lose momentum and it'll land exactly where it needs to land. Did you know that grace was alive and well from Genesis chapter 1? It was the grace of God that allowed us to have the law so that we could see our need for a Savior. We, we often think that God is just... There's an Old Testament God and there is a New Testament God. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But his expression and interaction with us has changed based on Holy Spirit, Jesus, and sin and reconciliation. So now we look back in faith and we we look back at a Jesus who came to save us. Anyone here ever touch Jesus, shake his hand? Anyone here ever see the nails in his hands no you haven't you haven't so by faith you look back but abraham by faith he looked forward the old testament it wasn't a system that failed and god had to do away with it was a system that was preparing for the messiah Everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. So we see all the key players in the Old Testament that says, by faith, they pleased God. They pleased God by faith because they were looking forward to the Messiah, just as we on this side are looking back to the Messiah. And someday, I know now we see through a glass dimly, but someday we're going to see him face to face and we're going to know him just as he currently knows us. So law and grace, it's not really a relay where law's over and now it's grace. It's more curling. The whole duration of humanity is law and grace in tandem to get the stone where the stone needs to be. Are you with me? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, Or the prophets, I have come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Oftentimes when we think about grace and we celebrate grace, we think that replaced the law. It actually did not replace the law. It fulfilled the law. Look at your neighbor and say, made it better. It made it better. It made the law better. Jesus came to fulfill the law. That's in your notes. I hope you're writing that down because that is going to help you with some good debates moving forward. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Do you remember in the Old Testament when people would bring their goats and their lambs and their calves to be sacrificed? Not that you were there, but you remember the stories of the bloodshed of, you know. (laughs) that's pretty gruesome. Anyone glad that sacrifices are over and done? I would be too if that were true. But sacrifices aren't over and done. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now the method changed. I am grateful that i don 't have to bring a little lamb up here on Sunday and slit its throat because we all watched an m a movie, but sacrifices aren't done. sacrifices continue it's just changed from animals now to me and to you and it's our job to present ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord so the sacrificial Offerings didn't change. It just changed the method and the mode. Another thing that that changed transition through Old Testament to New Testament slightly is circumcision. Circumcision for men is no longer required. It's optional. But for men here today in your 20s, 30s, and 40s... um, And you got to know Jesus later in life. This is especially good news for you. Because if you came to the Lord at 40 years old. There's a story in the Bible of a whole camp that had to get circumcised. In the 20s, 30s, and 40s. I couldn't imagine being in that camp. And then they got defeated because they all had ice packs. But circumcision this must be a very uncomfortable topic for the room because I've said some really funny stuff and everyone's afraid to laugh can we at least admit it's good that circumcision is optional that's good (laughs) except that circumcision has changed So there's still circumcision in our relationship with Christ, but instead of the flesh, it's of the heart, a cutting away of the heart, a cutting away of the things that no longer serve us in the kingdom, things that no longer serve the Lord. This is circumcision of, of the heart. We call that also sanctification, where we become more and more like the image of Christ daily. And he cuts things away, and man, it hurts. And sometimes circumcision of the heart is way more painful than circumcision of the flesh. While it's true that we are no longer under the old law, that we're under grace, we must not forget the purpose of grace. And I kind of started out the sermon saying, it empowers you, it helps you be what you cannot be on your own. It helps you do what you cannot do on your own. And the purpose of grace is to help us live for God and do the things that he wants us to do. Cultural Christianity would say that grace just allows you to do whatever you want to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, hey, live it up, do whatever you want to do. The grace of God is sufficient. It'll cover me. I'll pray in the morning. And in a way, that is true. Grace allows you to do whatever you want to do. But when you have a circumcision of the heart daily happening, the things you want to do changes. And if you want to do that today, that's fine. The grace of God is going to cover you. But keep leaning into him because next week is a new week. Tomorrow, mercies are refreshed and renewed. And, And just because you wanted to do that last year doesn't mean that you still want to do that today. Allow the Lord to just rip some things out of your heart. Bring transformation to your life, to your thinking, to your behaviors. Jesus came to fulfill the law, to fulfill the law. Now, and By the way, he fulfills the law in you. Did you know that? It wasn't a one-time thing where Jesus did it one and done. He fulfills the law daily in you. Romans 8, 3-4 says, For what the law could not do, In that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the what? Law Law might be fulfilled in who? Us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus came so that the righteous requirement of the law. Did I say that right? Righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you. That's powerful. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Now, Chad, we have to be careful that we don't misappropriate this truth. All right? Sometimes we'll get something catchy. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law, and we kind of misappropriate it. Uh, For example, you know, one of the truths is. Jesus paid it all. Did Jesus pay it all? I've thrown out so many trick questions this sermon. Everyone is, is nervous. Did Jesus pay it all? No, he didn't. <laughs> no, I, he, re, he did for your salvation, yes. But he ain't going to pay that parking ticket. So when you're going 80 and the 55 and the cop pulls you over, you can't say, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Jesus paid it all. <laughs> I thought about writing the IRS a letter this week because I found out that I owe a significant amount of money to them. Not my fault. It's the devil's. And the CPA I've used for the last 13 years that did a wrong thing. Yeah, you pay someone, you trust them. It's like you go to the doctor, you expect heart surgery, and you come out with six toes. Well, I paid the CPA to do my taxes. Something went wrong anyway. I, Carrie and I owe the IRS $22,000. Yeah, it's fun times. So I thought about writing them a letter this week and saying, dear IRS, Jesus pays the debts I cannot pay. But I'm going to pray on that before I send it. So we can't misappropriate Jesus came to fulfill the law. Let's talk about this a little bit. There are three main divisions of Old Testament law. Three. If you go into the Old Testament, you'll see three different divisions of law. Can I teach you this real quick? Okay, you may, you may know more than me, and if so, teach me after service. There is civil, ceremonial, and moral. These are all in your notes, one, two, and three, dot, dot, dot. Civil, ceremonial, and moral. Occasionally, the civil and the moral laws overlap. There's a couple of instances where these three get a little bit blurry, but for the most part... They can be easily divided into civil, ceremonial, and moral. The main difference between these laws, civil, ceremonial, and moral, that we see all throughout the law of Moses in the Pentateuch, fancy word for the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's called the Pentateuch. In the Pentateuch, we see tons of laws over and over that are repeated and talked about most all of them can be funneled into one of three categories, civil, ceremonial, and moral. And the difference is in their purpose, in their purpose. So if you ever read a law and you wonder, I wonder which one this is, ask yourself what is the purpose of the law? I'll give you a few examples. Civil law in the Bible equals relationships. It deals with relationships. It deals with disputes and proper behavior. Civil law. Now, civil law expired with the demise of the Jewish civil government. So, when the government of that time expired, the civil laws expired. That seems reasonable, yeah? Let me give you a few examples of civil laws. Um, children that were rebellious. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, it would tell you how to handle rebellion. Rebellious children. Some of you are like, please tell me now, pastor. Tell me now. Well, I wouldn't advise you doing this because this is a civil law that applied to the Jewish culture of the time. But if you want to know what they did, a man who had a stubborn or rebellious son who would not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. And though they disciplined, he would not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the church at the city gate, at the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. Would you know that there are cult churches, cult sects, S-E-C-T-S, that have been known to bring rebellious children to the middle of the church to get reprimanded and corrected Verbally abused, physically spanked and beat in front of the congregation. Those congregations do not honor the Lord, and they're not understanding that civil law expired. It was appropriate for a time and a people who decided that to be the case. In Deuteronomy, what we just read about rebellious children, it is not prescriptive, it is descriptive. descriptive tells us what someone did. Prescriptive tells you what you should do. Do you see the difference? We fall into error, theological error, when we read something that was descriptive of a time in scripture, and we take that as a prescription for our life. And it will help to know that that is civil law. Civil law is gone. Something else civil law did, it handled debt. Debt in Deuteronomy says that every seven years, debts had to be forgiven. I sure wish this one was still around. Uh, IRS, can I get the nine-year payment plan? Year seven, it's gone. Divorce, what about divorce? Uh, Divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 22 is a civil law. The elders of the city would take the man. If the man said that his wife was not a virgin, then there would be an investigation. They would determine if that was true or not. And if the man was lying about his wife, they would bring him out to the gates of the city, they would whip him, and they would fine him 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of his wife. That's pretty interesting. But I don't see that as applicable today. So when we read laws, civil laws, we need to just understand the context is Jewish culture, Jewish times. It's gone away. Now we have stoplights. We have roundabouts. We have littering. We have crosswalks. We have our own civil laws that we are supposed to obey the laws of the land. You understand? Jesus didn't pay it all. We have to obey the laws of the land, the civil laws of the land, follow Follow the rules, but civil law is dead because of time, not because of Jesus. Okay, next, ceremonial. The ceremonial law deals with priesthood initiation, how to get into the ministry, how to be right before God, sacrifices to cleanse sin, reconciliation, how to stand right before the Lord. The ceremonial law deals with the priesthood, And the relationship with God. Examples of ceremonial law. um, If you were a leper, to be clean again, if you ever read Leviticus, you're going to read a lot of unclean, unclean, unclean. Well, to be clean again, there was a, a number of steps that you had to accomplish. And that was ceremonial law. So if you were a leper, you had a home... You were prescribed, the priest would go in. This would have been my job if I was Trey back then. I would have gone into the leper's home after they cleaned the house and I would have declared it dirty or clean. How would you like that? Pastor Trey walking into your house, first step in. Clean! Do the dishes! <laughs> you know, the priest used to do that back then. That's ceremonial law. Ceremonial law also has to do with all the festivals. The laws about animals for food. Can you eat pork? Can you not eat pork? Can you eat shrimp? Can you not eat shrimp? All of these things uh, were part of the ceremonial law. Um, Priestly duties and then the sacrificial offerings for sin. Now, when Jesus came, he did away with ceremonial law. This is why we no longer have to sacrifice a lamb. Now we can sit down with a good pork chop. Amen. Amen. I mean, they do have parasites, but other than that, pork has parasites, but you can still eat it. And if you put enough ketchup on it, the parasites will go right through real quick. Finally, moral law. Well, Moral law is based on the character of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when it talks about idolatry, when it talks about loving God, loving the neighbor as yourself, when it talks about stealing, when it talks about lying, when it talks about adultery, when it talks about in Leviticus 20, sacrificing children to Moloch, which current day would be abortion. Back then, sacrificing children to Moloch, uh, which is, you know, I, I, as a church, I don't know any believer in Jesus that's not pro-life. But I do know believers in Jesus that think how that works out politically varies, and I'm not talking or addressing the political side of that. Uh, but if someone comes to the church asking for help because they're pregnant, We're going to help them. We're going to point to life. Because if Jesus knew them before they were in their mother's womb, then we're going to champion what God has established. We also know that in Leviticus 20, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says that if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch. In other words, back then when they would sacrifice their children to Moloch, Even if you didn't sacrifice your children. Even if you thought it was wrong for others to sacrifice their children. If you hid your eyes from it. If you pretended it wasn't there. If you just ignored it and let people live and do their thing. The Bible said to them, and they do not kill him. Then I will set my face against that man and against his family. That's pretty serious. That's moral law. So parents, we can't kill our kids. We can't throw them out the window. I know it's difficult sometimes, and it seems to get even harder as they age. But the truth is, they're a life that Jesus loves, and everything that they need to be successful is bound up inside of you right now. You have everything you need to help your kids be everything that God wants them to be. And then other moral laws include sexual sins. God did not come. Jesus did not die to do away with civil law. Civil law was done away with time. Jesus came to do away with ceremonial law. He is now our advocate. We now have access to the Father through him. Ceremonial law. Jesus did not come to do away with moral law. Jesus didn't come to change the nature of who God is. He came to express him more fully. So moral law still exists in our current culture today. Now, I'm over time. Jordan, if we play a little bit. I want to give you two final points. Can I give you two points to go home with and then we'll call this series done? Grace goes beyond the law. I don't know if you've ever been tempted to ignore giving or ignore certain things that God is calling you to because you used grace as a cover? Oh, because of grace, I don't have to do X, Y, and Z. Because of grace, this is not a big deal. The truth is, grace goes beyond the law. The law said, do not commit adultery. But Jesus said, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. That's That's grace. The law said, do not murder. But Jesus said, if you even have anger in your heart and unforgiveness in your heart toward another person, you have murdered him. So let's not use grace as a cover, as a get out of jail free card to not really press ourselves to lean in more toward Jesus because the truth is grace requires more than the law ever did. Grace calls you way higher than the law ever did. The law was sent to reveal Jesus to us. Grace was sent to reveal Jesus in you. My next point, grace doesn't excuse the giving. Grace empowers it. Grace allows you to give. The grace of God allows you to become a giver I heard a story this week, someone saw the Huggies, someone in our church saw the Huggies we were collecting, and they wanted so desperately to get some diapers to help contribute to the cause of what we're doing for single moms at Hope Pregnancy Center. And they went into the store, and they saw the Huggies on the shelf, and they've not They've not been accustomed to buying baby things. so They don't know where the market is, but they saw how much Huggies were. And they were like, oh, that's a lot of money. They really wanted to give, but they had to walk away because they didn't have the money to allocate towards Huggies. So as they're walking out of the store, they're like, God, I just want to be able to give. I just want to be able to contribute to this. I want to help single moms, God. I just, I feel so bad that, I can't just buy it, but I need you to help me. And I don't recall if it was that night when they got home or the very next day, within a 24-hour window, they find a package on their front door. It's from Walmart. And they go in. They, they didn't order anything from Walmart. And so they called the Walmart line and said, uh, Lady, ma'am, uh, you delivered a package to my house in error. This is not mine at all. And the lady said, oh, just keep it. And she says, but I don't want to pay for it. And the lady said, no, you don't have to pay for it. Just keep it. It's our mistake. Just keep it. You can have it. And the lady says, but I don't know what's in the box. And the lady said, well, open it and see. So she goes over and she opens the box. And inside of the box is a massive, bulk, fancy-schmancy baby wipes that this person will never use. And immediately she knew that God is faithful. He gives seed to the sower. Will you stand to your feet, Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit today, I thank you for the grace that is in the room to empower us to walk in wholeness, to empower us to be aligned with your truth, not my truth, their truth, everyone else's truth, your truth, God. Give us the grace to walk out of here a changed person in the name of Jesus. God, give us the grace to believe that you have called us sons and daughters. Give us grace to believe that you do give seed to the sower. God, I thank you that no matter what the economy is doing, no matter what what the nation against nation is currently looking like, You know how to keep your own. God, I thank you for kept people. God, I ask you to continue to bring to us provision, bring to us discernment and wisdom and the use of all that we have. God, let us be found good and faithful stewards. In Jesus' name I pray, amen amen. If during today's service you were leaning into Jesus and you want to know more about him, you want to say yes to him, will you take a moment and scan the QR code on your screen? We have a list of resources that's just going to help you grow. It's going to help you learn more about Jesus and more about this Christian walk. Church, can we just celebrate what the Lord has done here this morning? Amen. Well, we will see you today, 5 p.m., Pflugerville Lake, the beach side for baptisms and picnic. Take what you received in here and give it to someone out there. God bless you. We love you.